Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Please welcome Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, I'll just um, read from the New York Times Review, because I think that's the one that everybody waits for with the most anxiety. Uh, Janet, Janet Maslin said that this was, um, uh, the performance was, um, you portrayed a charismatic, unforgettable, unforgettable heroine, uh, stunningly well played. Um, as she confirms here and also showed with her amazing mimicry in the Hudsucker Proxy, Ms. Lee has lately evolved from a promising young, young performer to an accomplished actress capable of dazzling surprises. Um, what I want to start just uh, by asking you is what is uh, what is it like uh, opening night for a film? I mean, waiting for the reviews and then kind of the, the um, feelings around that. It's <laughs> nerve-wracking, um, of course, but um, I was really proud of myself last night because I've been sick. I've had the flu. And so I went to sleep at 8.30. I didn't go out at 10 o'clock and get the paper, which I thought was really, I was really becoming an adult now. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, went to sleep at 8.30 and woke up at 8. And then it, I was I'm in a hotel, so the paper was outside. And then I got it, and I was grateful. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's nerve-wracking because you've done the work. And, and you know, whether... I, I happen to, to like this film a lot. I really love the movie, but you never know how people are going to respond to it. So. Now, you said um, you, you felt like an adult now, and, and one of the things that the New York Times Review said was that, that, that this is some sort of turning point, that you evolved from a promising young performer to an accomplished actress. I, I was wondering if you saw this film as some sort of turning point, or if you see what's happening right now with your career as a sort of turning point. Well, I'm sort of, I'm bad with the whole notion of career. Mm -hmm. uh, I just don't think about it. I just feel really lucky to be working and um, and I hope to keep working. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's, that's about as far as it goes. I mean, I, I al you always hope that you could get, you get better. Mm -hmm. You don't want to get worse, mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, no, so now is, a, now is a good time for me because I, I, I've been working a lot and I, I have another job now, so that's <laughs> always very good. You've actually yeah. finished shooting the next two movies after Mrs. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was it like playing, playing old, playing an older character, a character who ages? That was, that was particularly <laughs> terrifying until we shot it because all I could imagine was you know when you're in high school and you see a high school play and the, the person comes out playing the granny and they're all hunched over with the cane and that was just in the forefront of my brain and so I called every actor I knew who had done it well I didn't call the ones who had not done it well because I didn't want to do that um, and, and then I spent a lot of time with people who were 65 and I went to some bars and watched women at that age drunk and, uh, well, you notice the 65, it ain't that old, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what I really tried to work on was the life that she had experienced from the time we'd seen her till then. I mean, there are, there are things you can do with, with posture and with the way you see the world, but it's also the world that you've seen. And that's, 
it's sort of the depth of your experience which gives you age really more than anything I mean at that point you can still move your head you, can, you know it doesn't hurt to walk it just hurts to think <laughs> so um, you have said in talking about the, um, the characters you've played and what you get out of uh, portraying those people that you get to, to um, explore sides of, of life that aren't there in your real personality or there in so-called real life um, so that playing characters with a darker side have let you explore things. Um, I was wondering what, Dor you know, what Dorothy Parker means to you. She, here's somebody, first of all, who's um, incredibly dark and incredibly opinionated. One thing you've said in interviews is that you're not, you don't feel like you're a very opinionated person in real life. That you no, and also mm -hmm. when I have opinions, I usually don't share them. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, that was a great, first of all, she's always been a hero of mine. Mm -hmm. I mean, since I was, 16 she was my hero so hmm. that was an amazing thing to play it was amazing to be inside her brain um, because she's so brilliant and so funny and um, I mean the sadness I understood mm -hmm. um, and I also I think that every woman who ever reads Dorothy Parker relates in a very very deep way mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of the choices that you've made and the roles you've taken, you've, you've played characters who are confronting pain, dealing with pain, and um, it's, it seems as though you're doing that in a, in a way to get at, at um, a sort of honesty of portrayal. And one of the things that typifies Dorothy Parker is that she's, she always told the truth. She was well, yeah, honest. exactly. And that's, what I, that's another thing I love about her. She just, she told it as she saw it, you know, and she saw things pretty damn clearly. Um, and I, I just think that's a remarkable quality. She was so smart and so sharp. I have these interviews of hers um, when she was 65. And the things she said, I mean, aside from the fact that they're howlingly funny, she's just so smart. And uh, she was never afraid to say exactly what she felt. And as harsh as she was on other people, she could decimate people with a sentence. You know, she was that hard on herself, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you once said it. Um, you used to turn off certain emotions. This is for yourself, um, but cutting them off is something that is a uh, is about being truly alive, or not cutting them off, I guess. Um, and a lot of being alive is really very painful. Um, and that it's in the in the. And you also said it's in the strange um, or the unusual that we that we find ourselves. So I think um, this again has to do with with some. I think some of the choices that you made in characters. Yeah, I mean, I think that that I said it. <laughs> um, I do think it's true. It's like the movie. I don't know if you all saw Sweetie, but that's yeah. it's one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. And you couldn't have odder, stranger characters, yeah. and you relate to all. You recognize them, you know, whether it's you or your sister or someone else in your yeah. family. It's usually someone in your family. <laughs> but um, I. And I relate so strongly to that movie, as opposed to movies where the people are really generic and we're supposed to see ourselves, but all we feel is inadequate when we watch them. Yeah. Um, I, well, I want to talk a little bit about the clips that we saw. So, um, Alan, working with Alan, Alan Rudolph um, it must have been an interesting experience. I think that he's a director who often... Um, one has the feeling in his films that, that, you're, that you're, as a viewer, you're eavesdropping on, on a real situation. There's a, a sense that um, 
almost like a documentary like feeling um, in the way he uses the camera mm -hmm. work. It just, so what, what was that? What was yeah, that like? that's true because as an actor you feel that way too because everyone, we're all wearing these except you, can, you don't see them on the outside of our costumes. <laughs> but um, you, everybody's mic'd. And usually in a film, you're not allowed to overlap, so if you speak, I have to wait at least a beat before I begin. And, and you have marks on the floor, like these chair marks, so that you can stand, you come to that mark and talk, and then move to another mark and talk. And on Alan's films, everybody's mic's there, so you can overlap whenever you feel like it. There are no marks, so you, it, everything is spontaneous. Um, there's a lot of improvisation which on this was hard because mm -hmm. we were inside these brilliant minds, you know, yeah. which none of us possessed. So we all had <laughs> really bone up. And, uh, but we did, and we had the greatest time of our lives. I mean, we, really, we just had so much fun. And you don't know where the hell the camera is mm -hmm. um, and where it's going because the camera's set up over there, but it's moving all over the place. Yeah. And so it's incredibly freeing. And every single detail down to the silverware on the table is period. Mm -hmm. You know, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So you, he creates something very, very real. Yeah. And then y you feel like you can live it, which is now different. How, this is a quality that I think is true of a lot of your performances, that you seem to be totally inside the character and, uh, and just really living that person. And I, I just, uh, I, we've heard a lot a lot of your interviews uh, you talk about the preparation you work you do beforehand but I just wonder how how what the experience is like when you're actually in front of the camera and and there are lights and microphones and um, there was a story I read once about your very first movie like a Disney TV movie oh that was horrible where you yeah. where you were like, kept looking at the camera then yeah. looking at it was so big <laughs> so how I mean what is it like now in front of the camera is it truly I mean have you truly got to the point no, I love it. <laughs> no, it's no problem. It's just there. Mm -hmm. But the, I mean, when I was, I guess I was 15 or 16 when I did um, that Disney movie, and I'm so atrocious in it. And it's Phoebe. It's my friend Phoebe's favorite film because I'm so bad. And uh, you, li you can literally see my eyes going from the person I'm looking at to the camera. To the camera. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you want to see it now? <laughs> we, left it, we, we left it off the filmography. It's called The Young Runaways. It was a TV, a TV thing. Somebody saw it. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, shortcuts. Uh, where you worked with one of the very greatest directors, actors, directors. Um, your character in Shortcuts is one of the few that was not actually from Raymond Carver that was invented. I mean, this is what I understand that it was invented. Well, it's from a Raven Carver, okay. Raymond Carver short story, but yeah, that character, obviously they didn't do phone sex back then. Right. So Maybe, well, they weren't paid to do phone sex. <laughs> <laughs> Could you talk about how, how that character evolved? I mean, Basically, yeah, he called me and he said, what do you think of the character of Lois? Which in the script basically said, Lois is on the phone doing a phone sex call. I mean, that's, that's all that was there. And I said, I love it. It sounds great to me. Because <laughs> it really did. And he said, well, you go out, you find her, you get the phone calls, you do it. I just want it very real and very raunchy. So I thought, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I love that idea. And so I just went to a bunch of phone sex places. Um, there was one that was literally a factory where people were in little cubby holes side by side. 
And uh, I think that's where the rubber bands thing, there's a rubber bands thing in an earlier phone sex thing that I got. And then I went to a very private, intimate office. And then I went to a woman's house. And then I went to a man who does it in the valley. He's a heavy metal guitar player. But he had a broken leg, so he couldn't work. And so he needed to make some money. So on the phone, his name, I think, was Candy. <laughs> but uh, it was quite an education, you know. And, and all the phone calls in the movie are verbatim phone calls that I listened mm. to, mm. some of which I tape recorded, yeah. which they didn't care about at all. I mean, I got to go through the files. <laughs> A lot of people call. I have my next job in the bag. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> what, what is the process of internalizing a character like? Because you do incredible research work and um, external work in a way in terms of getting the physical details. Mm -hmm. But you've talked about um, how acting is like a virus to you. That um, or getting a character is like getting a virus. That it's something that, like, that is like in your system and that it's with you throughout the film. So what is that? I mean, how does that transformation work? What I don't know. I usually, I just, I, I do a lot of research. I read a bunch of things, and I meet a lot of people that I mm -hmm. think are similar to the character, or could be, mm -hmm. and pick things from different people. And, um, and with Dorothy Parker, there was just tons <laughs> on her, and that's all I had to focus on, so it was a little bit easier in certain ways. Um, and I, look, I use paintings and photographs. On the last movie, I used a lot of Nan Golden and Larry Clark's photography and different music and things like that and I just work and work and work and pray to God it's gonna like sink in somehow and then I don't know quite how it mm -hmm. how it happens but at a certain point you have to trust it you mm -hmm. know and, uh, and then is there does something change when the, when the when you hear the word action for example I mean Alan Rudolph said that um, you know, in praising you, he said you're the most anonymous actress that he's ever worked with, that, that you save it all for the screen, and then it's electrifying when it's on screen. And there was a That's similar... nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then Robert Altman, who said that uh, you're the actress who other actresses will someday be judged against, said that off-camera you're like a ghost, and that, you, that there is a, some kind of transformation. I'm very pale, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is that I'm... Um, I'm shy, you know, and it's... It's hard, I mean, I think acting for me is a way, when I'm in someone else's skin and I'm saying someone else's words and living their life somewhat, it's a lot easier for me and I'm much freer mm -hmm. and more extroverted and I can communicate. I can communicate something about myself that I wouldn't dare communicate otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think that's, I mean, I often feel like I have very little to say and uh, I and I'm very I'm, I'm awed by Altman you know so I mean there was a day where he thought I was uh, when he first came one day he came to visit the set and he asked me to get him a cup of coffee <laughs> and of course I you know I was delighted I get to get all my coffee <laughs> and so I went and got it and everything and and then someone said that was Jennifer and he thought I was a production assistant. <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> okay, the, the Cohn brothers, who were very different directors, who seemed to be much more interested in, in surface and externals, 
and who made fun of you apparently for your research. Yeah, they, they call said, me a sissy. They or said something. research was for sissies. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, it is in a certain way, but they don't have to do research. You know, they're brilliant. Mm -hmm. They have these, I mean, they, I don't know how their minds work. I never will understand that. Because <laughs> they seem so normal when you meet them. <laughs> they're really, it's just beyond me. So they don't need to do any research, but I do. Now that movie, The Hudsucker Proxy, is very much a movie about earlier movies that makes mm -hmm. one think of His Girl Friday. How much, in, in this case, how much was your research... Um, based on looking at old movies, as opposed to going out and talking to, to journalists? Or yeah, well that's, I mean, I did a little of that mm -hmm. realistic, I took, talked to Murray Kempton, who was great to talk mm -hmm. to, and um, I did a little of that and a little bit about working in a newsroom in the 50s, but the way I approached that was as though I were an actress in the 30s mm -hmm. doing a movie for Sturgis or Cukor or any of those, or Capra, and so I read all their bios and I was able to get sort of gossip magazines with interviews with Gene Arthur and Katherine Hepburn and things like that and read their bios and uh, so that's how I wanted to approach it because it's not, there's no realism in the movie at all, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's a screwball comedy and I grew up watching those so I, and I always loved them so much but I never thought I'd get a chance to make mm -hmm. one. Yeah. You haven't done that many comedies, I mean a, a, some ca cameo, a small mm -hmm. part of the big picture. What is the difference? Um, for you between, if there is one, mm -mm. between drama and comedy? You don't think there, no. there is in the process? Mm -mm. I think it's all, I mean, I think of Miami Blues as a comedy too. I mean, it's dark, yeah. but it's, it's uh, hopefully funny. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but no, it's, I think you approach it the same way. It's a human being, you know, and it's just finding out who that person is. And you. Um, once it played a series of prostitutes in different films, and now you seem to be pl playing journalists you, yeah. in the Hudsucker Proxy. In your upcoming movie, um, Dolores Claiborne played Esquire writer. Another so journalist. What, and, um, so what kind of um, empathy do you have for journalists who also do a lot of the same investigative work? And in your yeah, they do, because I, I met with, I think, 10 or 12 journalists mm -hmm. um, in New York and in Washington mm -hmm. and interviewed them which was nice. <laughs> and they were really generous and really open and boy do I have the dirt on this town now. <laughs> I really do. But uh, yeah, I have a, a lot of empathy now. Mm -hmm. And the, the frightening thing is though, is that I did this whole thing, you know, all this research and I thought this is going to make me really savvy. And the next time I give an interview, I'm not going to say this, I'm not going to say that, I'm going to be so careful. But the problem was, is because I had all this empathy, the next two interviews that I did, it was like, whatever you want to know. <laughs> 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 you know. Which was not such a good thing, but, yeah. you know. Um, how important is, is language for you in writing, in terms of creating a character? You've, you've also played, all the, these three roles that we saw were very involved in the use of language. And you apparently write diaries for, for all I the write characters? Di yeah, diaries for the characters I play, yeah. yeah in their voice, mm -hmm. just so that when, if I'm in a scene, I can have their memories or what they ate for breakfast or, you know, something their mm -hmm. father or mother said to them, and mm -hmm. so that I have a relationship that's, that's in a memory of mine that's the characters. Mm -hmm. um, what, what would you say is the, the, this is kind of a hard question, I guess, but the, the split between You've, you've said that acting is not cerebral. There's, there's a lot of intellectual work that you do and a lot of 
in your preparation, but that mm -hmm. ultimately it's, it's, it comes from the gut. So, I mean, is there any way to, to talk about what the split is? Um, yeah, you yeah. don't, it's not, um, oh boy. <laughs> uh, you know, when you do the prep, it's very cerebral, yeah. and a lot of it is physical and practical, like learning to type or learning to shoot pool or whatever mm -hmm. you have to do. And that, that part's fun because it's mindless. Mm -hmm. But the greatest part of acting is you're, it's, it's so freeing. You're not in your, you're maybe in the character's head, but you're mm -hmm. not in your own head. Mm -hmm. You're not questioning everything or, or pondering everything. Mm -hmm. You're pondering whatever they're pondering, which is a lot of times more interesting than your own. Mm -hmm. Thoughts. All right, be before we open it up to questions, I just want to ask about a few of the earlier films. Um, at, at about the time you made Last Exit to Brooklyn, this was around um, when Pretty Woman was made, which was a much different view of a prostitute. And you um, turned down the role, or you, you were. Um, I, I, wasn't, I didn't turn yeah. down the role. Okay. You would never have been interested in me. <laughs> <laughs> Could you talk about what, like, why you wouldn't be interested in doing a role like that, like Pretty Woman? Well, uh, here's an example. <laughs> when, when I first read that script, it was a very dark script for Pretty Woman. And um, I thought, wow, Disney's changing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I went in to meet, and I'd just done Last Exit, mm -hmm. and I thought, gee, should I do another horror? But I thought, I like horrors. I think they're really interesting. So uh, what the hell? So, and the script was interesting. So I went and I met him and he had, I mean, he had no interest in me whatsoever. And he, so I read a scene that was very brief, a little short scene where she comes up to the car and she says to the guy, you want a blowjob? And he says, how much? And she says, 30 bucks or something. And, and we read that scene. And he said, all right, I want to try it again. And, you know, she's still really having a good time. She's only done this for about two weeks. And I just thought, how much fun is it to get into a car with a 60-year-old guy and unzip his fly and give him a blowjob? Like, how much fun is that, Gary? <laughs> and I just, I just sort of knew this was not going to be... So, and then, of course, the movie came out, and it was a fairy tale. You know, it's a recruitment film. It's like Top Gun for <laughs> prostitutes. <laughs> now, you did do a, a movie um, a few years... You know, one of your first uh, roles that got you a lot of attention, Fast Times at Ridge My High, which actually... Uh, which we're showing this weekend, so I wanted to plug that. But actually, it's a movie that um, is, explores sex, explores teenage sex... Um, but it's able to, for one thing, show, um, show it from the show real pain and real emotions, but also show it from a, a woman's point of view. Mm -hmm. I wonder what you think of that film and what the fact that it was directed by a woman, Amy Heckerling, had had to do with it. With well, that. I I think Amy did a really remarkable job with you know with the film, but with the sex scenes in particular because mm -hmm. um, it's awkward mm -hmm. and uncomfortable and sad and clumsy and and sweet, but not in a cloying way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think she really caught that. I mean, the scene had to be cut down um, mm -hmm. for the ratings board, yeah. which was, was disappointing um, mm -hmm. to Amy and to me as well. But um, 
Yeah, I think I think she understood it in a really great way because it wasn't glamorized or beautified at all. It's an awkward, clumsy, uncomfortable scene. Mm -hmm. And um, in terms of other woman directors who you might work with, the obvious one that comes to mind is Jane Campion. Jane Campion. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, I'd love to work okay. with her. Yeah. Um, have I mean, this, have you ever talked to her about doing a project or met her? Because this. <laughs> I met her. Uh -huh. well, I I was at Cannes when they showed the piano, mm -hmm. which um, was an amazing night to be there. Mm -hmm. And walking into the party, she was right ahead of me, so I sort of <laughs> tapped her on the shoulder and I just told her how much I loved the movie. Um, and that's the extent of my relationship with her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, could could you talk a little bit about um, Georgia, which? Is a, I mean, which sounds like it must be a personal project because it was written by your mother and yeah. produced by you. So. I'm one of the producers, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a, an idea that I had. Um, I've always wanted to work with my mother. She's a really, really gifted, gifted writer. And um, I'd always wanted to do a movie about sisters because I'm very close with both of my sisters. And I always wanted to play a singer but I don't really have much of a voice. So it's a movie about two sisters, one who has a voice from God and who's very successful and very grounded and has a family. And, and her younger sister, um, which is the part I play, Sadie, uh, really has, doesn't have a great voice and is a complete fuck up. And, uh, and it's about their relationship, really. Mm -hmm. But Sadie's... Georgia's very contained and has a kind of peace about her, and Sadie has no peace. And she's just like, she's, if there were a brick wall in front of her, she'd go charging into it and get all bloodied and break her nose, and then she'd get up and say, this time I'm going to get through it, you know? And that's, that's basically the character. Yeah. Okay. Right down here. Uh, given that you're shy, I'm wondering what it's like to be living in a, in a fishbowl of well, you know, I grew up in Hollywood, so it's my home. I have friends from five years old who I'm still really close with, and my mom lives, you know, a mile and a half away from me, and my sister lives there too. And so, to me, Hollywood isn't some. I don't go to premieres unless I'm in it and you have to go. Uh, but I, I go to movies all the time. But I like to see them when I can have popcorn and I actually really like nachos, so I like, <laughs> I like to go that way. And so I'll go to movies like three times a week and I'll see my friends and go to dinner and that's, that's about it, you know, I don't, that part of Hollywood I don't see because I don't, it's not that I don't care for it, I just, it doesn't excite me or interest me or it just makes me kind of uncomfortable, so. On the subject of your shyness again, how do you feel about doing Terrifying, yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. I did Letterman a year ago, and he was incredibly nice to me. Um, thank God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I had to work on that so hard because I was so scared. And also, that studio is freezing. <laughs> it's really cold. So, uh, 
But you know what? I got through it. They, they made me the last one just in case it went really badly so they could cut it short. But, um, <laughs> and you're only on for five minutes, so it goes by really, really fast. So it, it went okay, and I liked him. But I don't think um, other talk shows would... I might do Letterman again, because I, I think he's really funny, and uh, he was really nice to me, <laughs> which I'll repeat. But um, I don't, I don't, the other ones I don't think I could handle, no. Okay, we're here. Yeah, I, I was curious um, how much prep time you put in for each role, and also um, whether you prefer to rehearse before shooting, and if you like uh, improvisation, you improvise. I love to improvise. I just think it's so much fun. And, uh, and I, I do as much prep as, I'm, as I have time to do. Like, um, I'm going to do Kansas City with Robert Altman in April. So this gives me five months, which <laughs> is great. If I could take a year and a half to prep something, I would. If I have six weeks, and it's, you know, 12-hour days. I mean, that's, it's, it's a real, it's a long work day every day. But I love preps. I didn't graduate high school, so for me, it's, it's, it's a really great way to learn and also just informs me about who this person is. So, uh, yeah. Did I answer all of the questions? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, a lot, some actors like to rehearse? Oh, I like to rehearse. I like it, because then you can fall on your face a couple of times. And, uh, and you can be really bad and try a bunch of stuff, and, uh, and you can do that in rehearsal. And then you can find things, but you're not always afforded that. So, but yeah, I like it a lot. Was there a lot of improv in Mrs. Parker? Because some of the ensemble scenes have the feeling... Oh, it's yeah. a lot of it's improvised, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, down here. Watch yourself on screen after you've worked, and have you ever acted on stage, not on screen? And if so, what's that like for you? Um, I did a play in New York, probably about six or seven years ago at Circle Rep, Sunshine, and I really, I loved it. I loved the. It was a three-character play. It was a character I really understood and loved, loved playing. And uh, I was always terrified before I got on stage, but once the play started, you know, the nice thing about doing a play is that you get to go from beginning to end, and you get to have that whole experience. Um, curtain calls were always a little scary. And uh, after the play was over, when I got to L.A., when I got back home, I just thought, I don't know how the hell I did it. I mean, because I loved the experience, but when I got home, I realized I must have been so fucking scared, you know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it was a great, great experience for me. I'd like to, I was going to do um, Simpatico. We were sp I was supposed to do that last fall, but then the financing fell through. So now, and then when they got the financing together, I was doing Georgia. So I wasn't, I couldn't do it. Um, the watching myself on screen really depends on what side of the bed I wake up on. I mean, some days I'll go and I'll, s if I've s seen a movie before and I'll, I'll see it and I'll just think, God, I'm dreadful in this. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> and then I'll see it a week later and I'll think, hey, that was good. I like that movie, you know? So it really, really depends on sort of how, how I'm feeling that day, I think. But if I always feel if I have 
two or three moments that are genuinely alive and right I really see that person as I met them then I'm happy if I can just have two or three of those you know Anything? I didn't take anybody in the back, so back here. Yeah. Characters <laughs> um, or 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 stories that that you really might want to portray if you had, you know, a chance. Anything that any like other heroes or any people that you really want to portray. Um. That's hard. I'm trying to. I loved. Um, Bastard out of Carolina. Did you read that? That that I really loved, and I would love to do that. But I, somebody has the rights already, I think, to that. So that always happens. You read something, <laughs> and you go, "This I'd love to do," and you call about it, and it's been gone for months and months and months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, over here. Yeah, Jennifer, uh, I want to thank you for doing this. I think you have done exceptional work. And uh, <coughs> I spoke to author Kim Rosencraft not long ago. She had high praise for your work in Rush and just your work in general. And in, in movies like Rush and Undercover, you were more, uh, a lot of them said about your victim roles, but you had basically tough cop roles in those movies. Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself like, doing any more of those roles, more action oriented? Um, you know, it's hard for me to, if I, if I read something, I, when I, when I read a script, I always, it's a, again, it's not a cerebral process. I either want to play that person, that person inspires me and is exciting to me, or I don't. And I can't always, I don't know, for example, oh, I definitely want to do this, I want to, that's why I always say I don't really, I can't speak about career because I don't understand it, or it's, it's not a word that is really in my consciousness it's just not but if I if I read something that had a character like that yeah I'd love to Kim is great by the way let's say you're friends with her you talked about not being happy with backdraft yeah that's the one uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to mention it by name <laughs> um, a certain Ron Howard film but you but um, you seem to sta have stayed away from kind of big glossy, certain type of big glossy commercial mm -hmm. Hollywood uh, project. You talked about not being interested in a league of their own, which ha you know had a lot of roles for women. Right. But um, I guess if, if if you could talk about how you, some of the roles you avoided or, or what like why you don't wind up in these big mega buck well, productions. Well, if you watch Backdraft, you'll know why I avoid them. <laughs> um, I'm not because of the movie or Ron Howard, who I like a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just that I, I'm terrible in them. I can't connect to them at all. And I tried everything. I mean, all the research in the world could not save me in that. And um, no matter, you know, everybody, a lot of people were saying to me, you should do a woman like this. You've never done anything like this. And now we know why. Okay, right here. Uh, Jennifer, uh, you, you get so involved in your roles. Which movie did you see as a child you think uh, probably uh, set you on your course to act? Um, well, I saw a lot of movies when I was really little that I loved. Forbidden Games, which is such a beautifully great film. And um, 
a lot of the old movies I really loved. And then when I was 14, I saw Dog Day Afternoon. And that sort of changed my life in a way. I mean, I certainly did school practically every day to see. I saw that movie 17 times. <laughs> and every time I had to get someone in line to buy me a ticket because it was R-rated. <laughs> but it just had so much energy and, and the characters were so interesting and so tortured and yet full of hope. And uh, yeah, so that, that was one of, at 14 I think that was the movie that inspired me the most. <laughs> Okay, over here. Um, was there any role that you were up for that you really wanted, but still worked out on? Well, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I desperately wanted to get in on the piano. I was shooting Rush at the time, and I couldn't, I was shooting every day, so I couldn't fly in to meet um, Jane Campion. But the truth is, is that when I saw the movie, I loved it so much, and I think Holly Hunter is so unbelievably brilliant in that movie that it was, I was, just felt lucky to be sitting there watching it, you know, and, uh, and that's sort of the best feeling when you lose something or when you don't get a chance to even meet or read for something, you know, I mean, I just loved being able to see that movie, and there wasn't a moment of, Oh, I still wish I'd done it. I don't wish I'd done it. I'm glad I got to see her do it, you know? And, uh, and then when you go and see a movie where you really wanted it and you see it and it's not very good, and then you think, eh, it's not so good. So, <laughs> <laughs> no loss, no big loss. Okay, down here. Um, I'm curious to know how your, um, you have this reputation for researching so thoroughly, how it affects the people that you're going to be working with. Are they intimidated? Like, oh no, Oh no, <laughs> I hope not, you know, and I don't think so at all. First of all, acting is a really weird thing, you know, I mean, it's nothing, there's nothing tangible about it. You can go down to the village and get some guy out of a grocery store and he could give the most brilliant performance you've ever seen. I mean, it's just, and everybody works differently. I mean, some people do no research, some people look at the script the day they get there, some people do more research than I do, you know, and I just think that everybody has their own way of going about it, and, and that's the great thing about acting, you know, and about, well, you can't do that on stage, but it, certainly in movies, it's a very funny thing in that way. Sure, I mean, well, Joel and Ethan said to me one day, if we ever work with you again, you're not going to be allowed to do any research. <laughs> so, yeah, sure, I'd try it. Uh, you know, but I, I, love, I love doing research, because like I said, you know, it's a way for me to, to learn, and then I can always draw from the truth. And the truth of the matter is, I couldn't come up with, I mean, certainly in shortcuts, that stuff, that. <laughs> I could never have come up with that. I mean, I witnessed that, you know. So there are things that you, in life, that are true, that if you don't have that experience and you don't know it, you could just never come up with it in a million years, I don't think. And it's much more interesting and strange than, I think, what your imagination, because your imagination is built on your experience in a certain way. Okay, right here. 
uh, there not being very many good roles for women, but you seem to have had a lot of great substantive roles. And I wonder what you think of that criticism, if, if you wonder if that's partly because you've avoided some of the big Hollywood movies. Mm -hmm. I think there aren't that many great roles for men either, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think I'm lucky in that the stuff that appeals to me, I have odd taste. And it doesn't appeal to a lot of other people. And I just like what I like, and I'm lucky in that I, I, I'm able to find stuff that I want to do, and every once in a while the person who's doing it wants me to do it too. So... Uh, yeah, but I don't think there are that many good parts out there, and certainly not in the big, big films. Have you been getting better choices in the last few years? I mean, you, after after Single White Female and Rush, which, which were your first real, like, pure kind of star, mm -hmm. starring role vehicles, you've worked with the Coen Brothers and Robert Altman and Alan Rudolph. Yeah, or life's changed <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but are, are there... I mean, if you are there more, is there more to choose from now? Um, well, what's what's lucky now is I'm getting to to make movies that I actually want to go see. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so yeah, things have things are easier, and I do get get um, scripts and things scripts that I like and that I want to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, we haven't really talked about Dolores Claiborne, but that was the film. That you shot before Georgia. Before Georgia. Could you, you talk about that a bit? Um, that's with Kathy Bates, mm -hmm. and um, I play her daughter, and we haven't seen each other for 15 years. And the character I play is a journalist. She's also addicted to alcohol and prescription pills, and she has a tremendous amount of rage. It's the kind of person that if she walked into a room and you were in the room, you'd either want her to leave or you would leave because she's not <laughs> a nice person to be around. And through the course of the film, and she loathes her mother. Just being around her mother just makes her back go up. And uh, she doesn't really know why she is the way she is, but she's very defended against finding out. And through the course of the film, she discovers really what happened to her in childhood. Um, and that her mother, who she's been hating all these years, a lot of that hatred is really towards the father, who's dead. But she doesn't, you know, in her mind, she's made him the kind of hero, and her this horror. Okay. Uh, over here. Is there anybody you've seen who you either want to work with, like a Quentin Tarantino? Yeah. Or another actor again, and then you worked with before, or didn't have a scene with, like, Fast Times, you worked with Sean Penn, but you had no interaction. Sure, I'd love to work with Sean Penn, yeah. Sean Penn I'd love to work with. I'd love to work with Alec again. I had a great time working with him, yeah. Oh, good! <laughs> yeah, we had a really good time. Um, uh, there, are, Yeah, there are a lot of actors who I, I'd, I'd love to work with. Most of the cast with Dorothy again. It was just an amazing group. Um, I think Gwyneth Paltrow is quite something. I think she's really amazing. I'd love to work with Julia Lewis again. We were in Crooked Hearts together, but we didn't really have anything to do together. Um, yeah, and as far as directors, I'd love to work with uh, Mike Lee. I'd love to work with Jane Campion. I'd love to work with Woody Allen. Um, Scorsese, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't? Okay, over here. I thought the Hollywood Grandview USA about 10 years ago 
which never seemed to find its audience. And I wondered what you recollect about making that movie. And then also, how did uh, your parents influence, your family influence, your acting and your choice of material? I like Grandview. I had a good time doing it. I liked that part a lot. Um, no, it was fun. It was it was fun for me. I had a really embarrassing incident happen right when I can. I was I guess I was going there, and the characters into sort of kinky sex, and uh, so I bought all these really disgusting magazines. You know that with these really graphic, <laughs> horrific pictures that you never, you just don't want those images in your brain, you know. And uh, so I bought them and they were in my suitcase in the zipper pocket. And unfortunately there were like seven of them. And as I was going through the airport dragging the suitcase, <laughs> the zipper was unzipped and all of these <laughs> flew out. And there was this like 6'4 porter who scooped them all up. And I didn't even know. I was just sort of trying to race to the plane. He said, Miss, <laughs> you dropped these. <laughs> it was really horrible. Horrible. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I had, a, I, had, I had a good time. I also had a root canal during the shoot of that movie. I just went in for a cavity. And two hours later, he said, Hey, I performed a root canal on you. <laughs> But, uh, and there were women lined around the block for Troy Donahue. Lined around, <laughs> literally, to get his autograph and whatnot. What was Pleasure like? He was very sweet. He was funny. Yeah, he was nice. It was, it was, the whole feeling on the shoot was very, very nice. Okay, over here? Yeah, I, just, I saw uh, Pets like a Proxy about two weeks ago, obviously on video. Why do you feel the film didn't seem to reach an audience? It seemed like a terrific send-up of the Frank Capra film. It was very funny and it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you know, I love it. I mean, I go to the first matinee of all their movies, so for me to even be able to read that script was a huge, huge deal. Um, and then to get to meet them was even a bigger deal. And then I got it, so it was just, the whole thing is unbelievable. But, um, yeah, I love the movie, but I never know what makes anyone go see anything, ever. And I, I always feel just, if I like the movie, I just feel lucky to have made it and sort of call it a day. Because <laughs> you can't, you have no control over that aspect of it. I mean, it would have been nice if people had gone to see it, that would have been great, but I guess it didn't, I see, I don't even know how well it did, how well it didn't do. I, um, I just, I, I don't really keep, um, I don't keep reading those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. you, um, you have talked in a lot of interviews about your older sister, but um, getting a lot from her in terms of mm -hmm. your, your acting and your approach to acting, I just wanted to make sure we touched on that a bit so you could... Sure. Yeah. Um, Carrie is uh, three years older than me. And she was all gut growing up. You know, if she felt something, she didn't say it, she screamed it. And uh, she's just, she's incredibly inspiring to me as a person. She's probably the most courageous person I know. I mean, she's lived so many lives that are so tough and hard and extreme. I mean, she really lived on the edge for a very, very long time. 
And she's also probably the most generous person I know, and in a funny way, the most grounded, because she's just lived so much. And uh, we're really close. And we were, growing up, we were just opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, But she did all those, I think, I really think that my personality largely is formed sort of in reaction to Carrie. Um, And I think she's also probably one of the people that I admire most in this world, really. Uh, we have time for just a few more questions. So, there's one over here. Um, in single white female, you played a sort of a, a shy, introverted character. Um, was that, in a sense, easier for you to play than something like? A she was psychotic. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, that was. <laughs> Yeah, she was, she was, introverted isn't, I don't know how introverted she was. I think she was, she was, you know, she fell in love at first sight, basically. And here's this woman, she wants to be her, she wants to merge with her, she wants to possess her, you know. So it's how do you go about that? How can you be that? How can this, how can you get this person to complete you and let you in? So it's more about... (coughs) You know, making sure the ground is steady, because you want to stay there, um, and you want to make the right impression. You don't want to freak her out. You don't want to lose her. You want to get the apart. You want to live there. Oh, tons! Yeah, yeah, tons. I got to meet uh, two, two twins, uh, twins <laughs> that had been hospitalized for having trouble with merging and separation. They both tried to commit suicide and, um, I mean, they obviously didn't murder anyone, but they had threatened people and, and they just couldn't, without the other one, they just felt, the boy said, it was, they were fraternal, and the boy said that when he separated from his sister, he felt as though his, they had been connected, like Siamese twins, and that she had been severed from him, but they hadn't sewn him up. And so that his guts and entrails were just, you know, spilling out onto the floor all the time. That's, that's how he felt. And I talked to therapists, and there's so much, so much, so many books on borderline personality, which is what Hetty was, I think. Um, although more on the psychotic end of borderline <laughs> than the neurotic end of borderline. But, uh, um. <laughs> okay, back here. Um, I met with a bunch of street walkers and uh, spent time with them. And I read a lot about the 50s and that period in America. And I used a lot of George Gross paintings. So I had my wall sort of plastered with them. and. Uh, and also period, pictures of New York in that period. And I watched movies that she <coughs> would maybe have seen one or two of those movies playing, you know. And, uh, and you know, basically, and read the book a bunch of times and talked to Hubert Selby a lot. 
Um, and the music from the period, too. Okay, down here. Okay, what did you, um, when you researched Dorothy Parker, what did you discover about her psychological makeup? Well, she was very complicated. Um, she was incredibly myopic, but she almost never wore her glasses, and I, I don't think it was out of vanity. I think it was because she just saw things too clearly, and it softened the world. And I think the alcohol did the same thing for her. And she had just the most miserable love life. And I think the mother dying at such a young age always makes you feel that you're about to be abandoned, and it's your fault. Because she felt, I think, somewhat responsible for her mother's death, because her mother was 42 when she was born. Um, and uh, so I think that had a lot to do with it. I think the fact that it was so painful for her to write, that she was known for fluff and for her witticisms, and she wanted to be thought of as a great writer. Um, She said, I don't know, I don't have the whatever it is to write a novel. That's what she said. And the other thing, the other kind of amazing thing she said was, um, I'd like to do good work, and someday I hope to. I haven't done it yet. And this was at 65. She had written Horthy. She had written Big, you know, Blonde. She had written Lovely Leave, Soldiers of the Republic. She had written the best-selling volumes of her poetry. I mean, and her poetry is so amazing. Um, and I don't think she was being humble when she said this. I mean, the first time you listen to this interview that I have, you think, come on, there's just no way she could be saying this about herself. But you realize after listening to her a couple of times, she, she, she means it. You know, she said, no writer ever puts down on his page what he really meant to be there. And that's the curse of all writers. Okay, well, uh, we're going to have to end on Dorothy Parker instead of Dogs and Prostitutes. So I think we found a good <laughs> closing point. Good. I want to urge people to go out and see the movie, of course. And um, very much thanks, Jennifer, Jason Lee, for being here tonight. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.